Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Ah, Celine, how are you? I am pretty good, Patrick. I am pretty good. Cool. I had a, I had a really nice uh, weekend of racing and riding and stuff, so... Yeah, I'm in a good place. I saw. How about a, yourself? Oh, you were ottering. <laughs> yes, I, I <laughs> was. I was ocean weasel. Um, I I got like six miles in or something one morning, uh, riding into the venue with folks from Castelli, oh, wow. and uh, I had there was a circumstance where I needed to pack my bike in my car because I was going to be making a stop, and I didn't want to risk it on the back on a hitch mount. Uh, and so I locked the bike up in the car, but it was DI two. So I placed it in there very carefully so that the levers wouldn't push up against anything. And somewhere along the line, it shifted when I hit a bump or some such. And so when I climbed on the bike that morning, I had one gear. Oh, the battery's dead. Yep. Yep. Completely drained the battery in, in the drive. Oh, boy. <laughs> See, this is mm, I'm not a Luddite in any capacity of my life. I do not like plug in bicycles. That is just I, I I'm sorry that happened to you. <laughs> it was it was comical. Uh, I was pretty well spun out at about 15 miles an hour. And so periodically somebody would go to the front of the group and say, hey, we, we're we're dropping Patrick. Can we back off a little bit? You know, I mean, because they were doing all of 17 or 18 miles an hour, which we yeah, know is yeah, yeah, no. precisely the sort of pace where you will just completely break apart a group. Right. Oh, no. Scratch that. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my only riding. But, man, it was uh, it was a lot to see. It was a lot to take in. Um, I saw a really fun photo from one of the events you did. Tell us a little bit about that, though. <laughs> you know, it's funny how paternalistic some people get. Um, whenever I like, oh my lord, oh I hope you cleaned that. Oh, did you get sick? like? It's just like no, no. Nah, I just I just wiped the dirt in that that wound and just called it good. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was the, uh, the the Saturday was, and this was not from Saturday. Saturday was the grape gravel crusher here which is a very fun enduro kind of style uh-huh. of gravel event so there's like you know different time segments but the clock doesn't go start to finish so it's just it's a it's a really fun day it goes on a lot of single track and uh through a vineyard and yeah it's just it was it was a lot of fun but the next day uh you know jay petterberry yeah yeah, yeah. So for people who don't, he's uh, he's a he's a big adventure guy. He does a lot of fat bike camps and fat bike events out of his place in Help Me Out. Is he in Wyoming or Idaho? I think it's Wyoming, but I think it's Wyoming. I think it's Wyoming. And he had come out for unpaved. And well, anyway, he he's actually originally from Jersey, and he was in town 
doing a little talk about his I did a bike adventure that he just did uh, with uh, Jim Vreeland, who's a friend of mine who has a bike shop in Jersey, who also did it this year. So they had a true, true adventure forward style ride. We were we were taking our gravel bikes through bogs and rock climbing and all kinds of stuff. And the funny thing is, so the picture you're talking about, I'm sitting in front of a church. It was at the very end of the ride, and there's just blood gushing down my leg from what looks like a huge hole in my knee, um, and I'm covered in mud. And it was just it was just funny because, you know, we all talk about the dirt church thing, and it was like, oh, this is a perfect dirt church Sunday moment. <laughs> uh, but I, it, it, in all good ways that these things happen, I, I did not have any issues until, like, you know, we were on our way out, and it was nothing. I was, like, literally just sort of, uh, working my way over a little root system, and I was—I turned my head to look at something pretty, like, <laughs> and I slid out and just scraped my knee. You know, so it was much more surf. It, it did bleed a lot, it, but it didn't. It's fine. I, I cleaned it. I, I use. I, I did everything we're supposed to. People, Neosporin is on it right now. It's all good. Um, but yeah, so that 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 was sort of the great cap for the weekend. But it was it was a very fun weekend, and it was a lot of bike time, which was which was always good. Excellent. Well, I envy you that. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm due for more time. And now that spring has actually arrived in Sonoma County, oh my gosh. You know, like we have sunlight. I'd forgotten what that was like. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, like. How was, how was, it was a little chilly in the otter, right, though? It looked like it, people were like wearing, or was it not? It looked like people were sort of bundled up here and there, but it's always a little breezy. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a little breezy there. Uh, the thing is, when you go to an event that's four days, you have the opportunity to get, you know, kind of a full selection, collect the whole set. A hundred percent. Yep. And so Thursday was cool and windy. Friday was coolish and breezy. And then Saturday and Sunday were bright and breezy. And oh, yeah, okay. so I, I got a little sunburned on Saturday, less so Sunday. And, uh, you know, the, the skin is no longer tender, so it, it passed quickly. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, when you get sun at Laguna Seca, you know, it's like being under a heat I always lamp. get burned there. Yeah. I always get burned there. Yeah. But I, you know, I know better than to complain. It was, it was an enormous collection of people. We'll get to that, though. What's yeah, up yeah, in yeah, your we'll poll? We'll talk about that. I have another listener question. Um... It, it's an interesting it's an interesting one, and it's one that I get an awful, awful lot. And I don't know if my answer will be satisfactory, but I'm going to give it anyway. So the question is, Celine, what's your take on stretching versus foam rolling versus none of the above? Some stretching rolling advocates are like religious zealots, while others seem to think it doesn't make a difference. Grant Peterson says to stretch for a few seconds like a dog. What do research and the fit chick say? <laughs> um, <laughs> so... I fall more into the stretch a few seconds like a dog, but I am not dismissing stretching. So I have written over and over for going on 30 years, honestly, about stretching. And the science is no more conclusive now than it was when we started. There's just yeah. not. And I, and I sus it's true. I suspect it's because everybody is different and it depends. Right. Like, I, mm -hmm. I honestly think that that's the case. It, when it comes to injury prevention, which is what, what they try to study with this stuff, it really doesn't seem to make much of a difference. Your stability is very important. That's not stretching. Yeah. You know, your range of motion is pretty important. That's not necessarily stretching either. So 
you know, when, when it comes to what I think about this, I do foam roll sometimes. I do all of this stuff sometimes. But um, I, I really don't think that unless you like it and find personal benefit to it, that there's much to be had for like doing the standing there, holding your leg behind you for 30 seconds, switching sides, repeat. I, you know, unless, again, unless it's your thing and unless you'd like that really works for me. Great. If it works for you, do it. If you don't do it and you feel bad just because you think you should, I don't think you should worry about it. Um, you know, I, I do think that all being said, we do kind of get more rigid over time. Some things make you more tight than others. Like if you kind of run to running is sort of one of those things that makes people a little more tight. Um you know, I think there's something to be said for sure for maintaining a healthy range of motion. And there's a lots of ways to do that. Um, I've said it before on this podcast. I'm a big fan of Eric Goodman's foundation work, which, you know, you can't see me in the world, but it's sort of like putting your hands over your head and um, go, going back like you're sitting into a chair almost. It sort of activates the whole back chain of muscles and it just helps keep everything working and turned on. And, and, and that's more it more than even stretching out is making sure all your muscles are sort of firing the way they're supposed to, and that you can get into those positions. Um, you know, after a hard race weekend, like the one I just had, I'll go to like a little warm candlelight yoga. I have here two minutes away at the studio and it's not, it's super gentle and it's really just taking you through a range of motion. And I consider it more of a flush Truly, just I get to see like, oh, that's a little tight. That's a little sore. Uh, I also find and wait for it. Strength training is a great way to maintain full range of motion. Because when I started mm -hmm. doing CrossFit last November, I was kind of a mess in some places. Like, I, you know, I've run into a bunch of trees with one shoulder that's a little janky and, you know, my like hips get a little out of line. So I was I was apprehensive when I first started that maybe I would need to become more flexible to do it. And I found the opposite to be true is that going through that full range of motion, because in, in CrossFit, you do full range squats, you do proper yeah. knees tracking over toes, going out, butt dipping below the knees, you know, like full range squats, deep squats, overhead presses, all that stuff. Like before I knew it, I could I didn't hurt anymore and I could get through all those ranges of motion. So. You know, that's that's kind of where I stand on all of it. I I have a foam roller if I feel like I could use my legs to be, if, you know, you, you do get knots and you do get gunked up. And I don't think stretching necessarily does a whole lot for that. I think massage is a better solution, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, foam rolling is sort of just like a little bit of a self-massage. So that is my very inconclusive answer for you. Do you stretch, Patrick? Uh, I'm going to go with not enough. This is not a question. You're not like, this is not the principal asking you a question. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, there's, I'm just acknowledging that there's a delta between what I feel like I ought to be doing and what I'm currently doing. <laughs> but why um, do you feel like you ought to be doing it? That's, I think that's the crux of what I'm talking about here. Do you feel like you ought to because your body's telling you or because you've read about it like for 500 years and you think it's like bad if you don't? Oh, my body's talking to me. And, it, and it's, it's, uh, is it are, saying stretch. There are just saying you need a massage. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> I got it. All right. uh, so I'm in physical therapy right now. I had a recent evaluation. Yeah. And, okay. uh, the doctor said, I am not a candidate for surgery, which at a certain okay. level is a big, big yay. 
on yeah, yeah. the downside, it's like, well, we're starting to run out of things we can do for me. And mm-hmm. so I was Not referred back yay. to PT and mm-hmm. I can't put my chin down to my chest. Can't do it. There's a little gap in there. And my PT is like, that, that's just, that's just wrong. <laughs> so I'm aware that I have some range of motion issues and there's probably some strength stuff in there. If we evaluate me more closely, I am mm-hmm. aware that there aren't any really conclusive studies out there saying stretching. Here's what it does for you. Here's why you need to be doing it. But at the same time, even as I can have a conversation about how that study isn't out there, all I have to do is look at someone's yoga practice. And if they do yoga regularly, range of motion issues are kind of non-existent. So I, the, I might argue that I, if you're going to argue it, <laughs> I'm o- going to just shut up now then. No, the <laughs> only, the only, I, and I, I'm not, Please, I, I I do think that there's something to be said for yoga. I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I I sometimes think there's a chicken egg thing that goes on though that we tend to gravitate towards the things at which we're good. Oh, totes. and people who go to yoga are already maybe naturally talented or inclined to be good at it. Follow? No, oh, yeah. Because I I, yeah. I I have seen people try to practice more and they get a little better, but they don't necessarily look like a yogi who is like, who is someone who is inclined and maybe predisposed to be able to assume all those asanas with ease and get better with practice. I mean, that's, you know, that's true of anything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people who they could, they could ride their bike as much as I do and, and maybe not get the same results. I mean, that's, that's really just how it goes. So I, like I, when people say that about yoga, I'm like, yeah. And I also feel like, you know, there are some studies that show you can be too loose. Like oh, sure. Stability is, yeah, yeah. Cirque yeah, du Soleil. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, you, you can't throw a baseball like that. <laughs> you need a little, t- you know, you need a little tension and, <laughs> the same goes to be said with getting out of a saddle and having a strong platform. I mean, there's a sweet spot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I know people who have talked to me about, you know, what their body was prior to taking up a steady yoga practice and uh-huh. the changes they saw. And That's for cool. a while, I am not poo-pooing that. you know, the, the winter of uh, 2018, 17 into 18, I, there was about a two month stretch there where I was able to start going to a yoga class weekly and then things in my schedule changed and I wasn't able to continue it. But at the end of those two months, I definitely had some improved range of motion. I was feeling Mm -hmm. good. My shoulder, I think was a little better. Uh, The problem is, you know, here in Santa Rosa, dropping 24 bucks on a, on a yoga class, you know, twice a week uh homie don't make that and you could do it yourself but who does right i mean that's it's just not like you could put on a video online yep but it's just not it's never the same it's not ever the same yeah yeah and i'm just i'm guilty that way and honestly you know not just that we gravitate toward the things that we're good at but we also just gravitate toward those things that we love. And I, yeah. I need the air moving past me on a bike. I, I need that. 
Totally get it. Totally yeah. get it. I and I, I, yeah. I, well, and I don't. I, I don't want to. I don't want people to leave this conversation, this part, thinking that I don't think yoga works or it's effective. Because I don't want that to be the take home. Because I do. I do think that there's absolute benefits to that kind of practice. If for nothing else, it's taking you full you know, through that full range of motion that we're talking about, which I do think is really important. However, you approach that. Yeah. Um. You know, I've just. I. I always. I walk into yoga carefully with some people because it can oddly be competitive and you know people also kind of get hurt too it sounds insane but I've seen that happen too so it's you know it's just like you should always stay within yourself whatever you whatever you're doing you know like don't try yeah well I mean you said it all when when people start to get competitive with yoga you know there you go that's that is a recipe for injury it really, it really, really is. So, yeah, but there's, you know, I, and in the wintertime, hot yoga is a delicious thing. Like, and our classes are cheaper here. So, because I'm not in Santa Rosa, California. So, it, uh, I don't pay so much and it's worth it to just lie there in like a really warm room. Yeah. For, yeah. For an hour. Yeah. Oh, remarkable but, uh, stuff. Yeah. So, so before I leave my poll, I just wanted to talk because speaking about all this practice, because it, it was, I had, one of those little light bulb sort of moments on Saturday, you know, as everybody knows, I did a lot of the strength training pretty much. I pushed it further than I have before. I pushed it into March, if not eh, through March and into early April, which is not usually where I'm still heavy lifting. I was a little apprehensive about that. You know, I was coming in with a little more muscle because I put on muscle easily, but I had been doing my base miles and I have this whole thing in my head, like trust the process. You know, you always have to try to trust the process. Yeah. Hopefully you're doing the, the right process. And I think I had a couple of questions about that myself. But it was really nice on Saturday to be like, to feel like myself, for lack of a better word, like to feel mm-hmm. like, you mm-hmm. know, so there were some days I felt like I felt chainless. I was like, oh, I haven't felt chainless in a while. And just like have that sort of energy and have, be that, you know, wanting to go fast. It was just like a really good feeling like, okay, I checked all the boxes and I did all this stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's sort of like, not everything is gelling at the same time while you're doing it. But the idea is like once you come into season and start doing what you do most, it should all come together. And it did. And so that that was a happy moment. And I was wondering if uh, you ever had, if you know what I'm talking about. Being chainless? Well, no, that's, that's just sort of like when it all flicks. Like oh. if you've put, you know, like when you, when you, all the work, the process, you know what I mean? When yeah. you've put in all those. Yeah. Uh, it's. It happened some last fall, that's for sure. Uh, after having had some spare weight that I picked up through mm-hmm. uh, the previous winter and really struggling to get it off, uh, last fall there was a stretch of about six weeks there, <laughs> you know, what we might call a peak, when suddenly I was just flying and it felt so good. I didn't really have a lot of opportunities race wise to, to put it to use, but there were, you know, there were some rides here and there that I did where it just felt so good. And the social ride that we do out in West County on Sunday mornings, there were some days there where guys who normally destroy me were, you know, pulling up the rear behind me. And nice. people were at a point of starting to comment about it. And, and that's the sort of thing. I'm still kind of the FNG around here. And so 
you know, the people I ride with have never seen me back when I was a reasonably quick racer. So this is sort oh, that's of the effing new guy. What's that? I was trying to figure out who you were. FNG, the effing new guy. Yes, that the effing new guy. Okay. Yep. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know you before. Yeah. They just knew you as you. Yeah. They saw. They, gotcha. they know me as a slower guy. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I, you know, I'm not sure they'd describe it that way, but me relative to, you know, what my fastest was, I'm clearly slower. You know, that whole aging thing doesn't work out, does it? So at least- It goes that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so- yeah, there. You know, when when things start to come together, even if you're not a racer, when you get mm-hmm, to that space mm-hmm. where the forum just kind of finds some sort of peak for you, those days feel so good. And yeah, you know, there. I mean, at a certain level, uh, and I don't want to make too much of this, given some of the subject matter that we've covered previously. Those days are really worth living for, you know. Right. And it's. To me, it's one of the best arguments for getting out on the bike, even on those days where you're not quite feeling it, because they will culminate in something later on in some way where you're going to get on the bike one day and it's going to be like, man, life is good. Yeah. That's it. Cool. So yeah. let's let's go to Sea Otter. What do you have for us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so four days, Thursday to Sunday in Monterey. Um, you know, they say it is the single largest cycling event in the entire world. For anyone who hasn't been there in the last few years, I just want to give a quick rundown of all the different events one can race or ride. So there's a road race. There's a dual slalom. There's a circuit race. There's a downhill there's a cross country, there's an e-mountain bike race, there's an enduro, and apparently there's also a criterium. Uh, beyond that, there are fondos for the road, mountain, a gravel grinder, and even just a regular recreational ride. Uh, I am aware that there are events that they used to have in the past that they no longer do. Like for a while, one or two years, they were doing track events at the Hellyer Velodrome up in San Jose. Which, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was a little strange to me, having to drive like an hour away for sea otter races. Uh, there also used to be do a, they still a do shor- the short track? They used to do a short track cross-country race as well. Yeah, I've done, I did the short track, yeah. Okay, yeah. They used to have a cyclocross race too. That's right. That's right. Yep. Um, and, you know, looking at this listing, I didn't bother to drill down and see what the courses were, but they have both a circuit race and a criterium now. And so I'm curious what the criterium is. In the past, I did the road race and the circuit race and suffered mightily in both of those. Uh, those, they're, those courses are difficult. And they're very difficult. Yeah. Coming down the corkscrew in both yep, those races. I I saw a little blood here and there. I I, I saw some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are they're very difficult. Yeah, the cross country race is deceptively difficult too. Well, because it gets it, really it, sandy in spots. Yeah. Well, it gets sandy, and you get out. You get into this canyon. I was talking to um, Alex Howes about it one time, and he's just like, "Oh, Alex Grant, sorry." Um, he's like, "You get out there, and it's weird. You get into this canyon area where even if it's not terribly hot, all of a sudden it's nine thousand degrees, and there's no air. 
Yeah. Like, and there's just this really strange, and it feel it starts to feel long. Like, I every, and, I mean, of course, I'm always working it, so I'm on my feet the whole time too. So that contributes to it. But it is, it's, it's, it's all a little deceptively difficult out there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then some of those hills, uh, both up and down, are reasonably steep. I, the yeah, highest yeah. speed I've ever reached on a mountain bike was there one of those downhills i hit something like 44 miles an hour that's fast uh yeah i, I mean at the time i was like wee and then when i checked my maximum speed later i was like wow that was maybe not yeah. really the most beneficial thing for my future success in life i you're here yeah <laughs> yeah I, I didn't crash thank heaven um the funny thing is when you look today at the schedule for sea otter mm-hmm what dominates are all the different events at the festival. There are autograph signings, there are demos, there mm. are giveaways, there are contests, just so many other things aside from just racing your bike. And so when I get there, I'm so busy that the thought of actually trying to ride has become as ridiculous as when I used to go to Interbike, which is a real shame yeah. because it's just such yeah. a terrific place to ride. And I'm mm-hmm. so busy because the number of exhibitors increased by 30% this year, which is wow. to say wow. I walked from- that, it, was, it was so big to begin with. Yeah. There's an area that used to have a little kid's track on it that was dirt, mm-hmm. and the kid's track is gone, and they've paved that whole section. It's just, you know- Wow. It, it's like the addition to the McMansion. You know, it's like, oh, that, that was already huge. Oh, how did they shoehorn that in? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I spent four days walking from one tent containing fascinating stuff to another tent containing fascinating stuff. Okay. Hmm. But what I want to do is instead of trying to do a verbal drive-by of all that, uh, what I wanted, what I really, you know, and just, just to make mention of it, just to give some sense of what I'm leaving out, there are new high-end bikes being produced by Walmart. I saw that. Yeah. Were they there? They were there. They were there. Not in a tent. They had a suite off to the side and it was like, you know, press intros. It's, I'm going to be really interested to see how the market responds to this because what they are doing is really solid work. They're working with- It's that next generation. I mean, look what they're doing down in Bentonville. Yeah. They're not messing around. Nope. 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 Uh, For people who complain about how expensive bikes have become, uh, they're going to be wrestling with a a pretty interesting purchase proposition because I know that a lot of the people who complain about how expensive things are are also not really fans of doing business with Walmart. So uh, it's going to be interesting. You're going to have to make a choice. The bikes are really solid, good factory, good designer. You know, so that's going to be out there. But what I want to do is focus on this one bike that I saw, the new MCR from Niner. It's a full Mm -hmm. suspension gravel bike. So (laughs) I took a moment to speak with Zach, uh, with Zach Vestal of Niner. And uh, this was immediately after the bike was unveiled to the media. I'm with Zach Vestal of Niner at the Sea Otter Classic, and they have just introduced the new MCR RDO, the world's first fully suspended gravel bike. Zach, if you would, give us a little rundown on what this bike is in terms of travel and uh, also how the fit is going to evolve on this bike compared to a standard gravel bike. 
For sure. Thanks, Patrick. So it's super exciting for us. We've been showing iterations of this bike for the last couple of years. It started life as a concept in which drop bars were put on an RKT mountain bike. Last year, it progressed to a plastic model. And so now we're showing an actual carbon fiber uh, paint sample in early stages of you know refinement moving towards uh, actual delivery and production for end of this year, end of 2019, hopefully November or December. Um, it incorporates 50 millimeters of CVA suspension travel in the rear. Uh, it's currently fitted with a Fox fork that has 40 millimeters of suspension travel. Um, but it's important to note that shock tune, carbon layup, part specification, including the fork, it's all subject to change right now. This is really early in the development process. Uh, what has been, you know, firmed up, obviously we've made a carbon mold, so the geometry is not going to change. In order to take maximum advantage, of the added confidence and control and capability that suspension brings to a gravel bike. We've lengthened the reach a little bit compared to a you know typical gravel bike, and we've lengthened the wheelbase compared to a typical gravel bike for the sake of stability. But we're maintaining a relatively traditional head tube angle and seat tube angle for the sake of that gravel bike agility, that pedaling position, um, and the efficiency that you you know would expect from a from a gravel bike. Right now, the suspension on this is your patented CVA, but this doesn't look anything like one of your uh, mountain bikes. Talk to me about you know just describe where the pivots are on this and how it's different from a mountain bike. So CVA suspension is, um, you know, defined by a link that is below the bottom bracket, and typically we have a rocker link that's actuating the shock, uh, and it's pivoting on a pivot that's about mounted around the midpoint of the seat tube. So what's changed on this is that we've uh, used shorter links, and we've mounted the rear shock actually behind the seat tube, just above the bottom bracket. So it leaves the front triangle open, allowing for bottle mounting, bag mounting. In fact, there's 11 uh, different mount points on this bike for custom bags, bottles, what have you. Um, the suspension curve has actually been modified compared to our mountain bikes. We don't envision riders on this bike doing, you know, three-foot wheelie drops and tabletops and huck to flat, you know, it's not a mountain bike, it's a gravel bike. So the suspension is optimized for high-frequency, low-amplitude bumps and maximum suspended mass, minimum unsuspended mass. So the design is, you know, adjusted compared to our mountain bikes to take full advantage of that. Very cool. Uh, really fascinating bike. I can't wait to have a chance to get on one. Thanks, dude. Thank you. Again, that was Zach Vestal of Niner. Celine, I have the sense that you're a little curious about this bike. I'm super curious. You know I am because I texted you. I am actually very curious. Um, I saw that. I, I, you know, we all saw that bike coming. Literally, yep. you know, they, they, it wasn't like a project secret. Um, and it's it's so hard. I'm not a. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not snarky. I, I don't get jaded very easily. But I look at that bike and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. But then I like it. And I because it it 
it's hard not to be like, it's a mountain bike, right? It looks so much like a mountain bike. But I then I think about this gravel enduro fun thing I did over the weekend where that bike might have been perfect for, you know, for a lot mm-hmm. of the single track. But how did, I assume nobody rode it. I mean, I, I'm curious, like, <laughs> you say how that. it handles on on the road. I mean, how does it handle, like, I know you can lock it out, but does it does it feel like a rigid does it really feel like a, a rigid bike? Does it, you know, I, so there's I have a, a lot of curiosity about it. Yeah. There's a switch up on the bar to lock out the rear suspension. And then there's a lockout right. on the fork as well. And I think that reaching the lockout on the fork is not going to be all that hard because your position relative to the fork isn't quite like being on a mountain bike with 78 uh, centimeter bars. So it'll be a right, little right. easier reach. I spoke with Yuri Hoswald, who did mm-hmm. a couple rides on it right before Sea Otter. And he talked about a situation where they got up on top of a bluff and were riding along. And the surface there was pretty bumpy, not not buffed out at all. And he just dropped the guys he was with because the bike was so smooth, just rolled away from them. They didn't stand a chance. And it's my sense was that it's not like he attacked just he right. was pedaling. No, no, I get that. I, yep. I totally understand how that could be that way. And that I think it's perfect for that. My question more is, would you do Dirty Kanza on it? Is it heavier? Is it, it you is know, heavier. like, is it? Is, yeah. 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 It's a heavier bike. I'll put it to you this way, that what I want them to do when it's time for me to do a review of one sometime next winter, I want them to send me a frame set. I don't want them to send me a complete bike. I want to build it up myself because I think I am at very high risk of not wanting to send it back. Huh. I think I may sell something. You would would need to put a fork on it, though, right? It still it needs a suspension fork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, contact Fox, get them to send out a unit. But I mean, I think I'm going to sell something to probably hang on to this. The. I think about some of the grasshoppers I do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, is that the right bike for 80 miles of the road or say 70 miles of the road? No, no, it's not the best bike for 70 miles of road, even even if they're rough roads. But I think about the last 10 miles of single track at Lake Sonoma when I do the Super Skaggs grasshopper and I look at that bike and I think, yep, (laughs) <laughs> that's exactly what I need. You think about all the high performance vehicles on the planet and the road bike is the only one that's not suspended. The only one. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. That's, that's, you bring up a good point. I, I am, I am intrigued. Yeah. I I think people are going to be pretty blown away by it. They've done some really solid work. And, you know, I think it's important to bear in mind, frequently we're, we, we find, uh, you know, the good, the enemy of the perfect. And this is a situation where this is just the first really workable full suspension road bike that we've seen. And 
designs are going to get better. They're going to get lighter. One of the interesting things about this bike, I was having a, a conversation with the product manager in charge of the project and mm-hmm. the way they arranged the shock behind the seat tube and uh, mounted a pivot about halfway up the seat tube, the mm-hmm. engineering loads there were really pretty surprising. They had to do a lot of work because it was a long seat tube and Mm -hmm. the way the load was applied, it just wanted to rip the pivot right out of the frame, he said. Hmm. So I think they're probably still deeply in the learning curve. I mean, as Zach said, they're still working on just what the layup of the frame will be. They know the paint, they know the shape, but exactly how they do the layup is still up for some question. And this is one of those occasions where I think if it's an extra 100 grams in the frame, just for reliability's sake, you know, what the heck, it's not going to make a big difference. The important thing, I think, is getting getting your head wrapped around having full suspension on a bike and what that can mean for rough roads and being off-road and just maintaining better control on whatever surface you're on. And it's different than than Travis Brown throwing drop bars on a mountain bike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I think might help illustrate this for people is all the times people have been on a downhill, any sort of descent, and you hit a bump and there's that little moment where the tires leave the tarmac. Yep. And you're thinking, oh, you know, this, this, mm, yeah, this could end poorly for me. That moment disappears with full suspension. Every single yeah, time. Yeah, I, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. So I, I see the benefit of this well beyond what I'll get out of riding it on single track. Yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally see that. It's just wow, such interesting times, such interesting <laughs> times, you know, like, I mean, there's. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's all I got. I, got I, I can't really say anymore until I toss a leg over one myself and, and see what it's all about. Yeah. I, I just, I wish they were going to be ready in time for dirty Kansas. But that isn't going to be the case. It's not going to be until yeah. sometime this winter that they're really going to have production samples for the media to start trying. But, uh, you know, they're, they've got to be close because uh, Rebecca Rush and Yuri Hoswald are already riding them. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, they're getting close if they've got rideable samples. Yeah. Oh, all righty. Well, uh, what do you say we move on to Paceline Picks? Sure. Um, mine, I, I don't, I, I'm going to qualify it that I'm not necessarily ready to say everybody should get one of these, but I am testing a whoop band. Have you tried a whoop? No. Do you know what a whoop is? Uh, well, it's a noise I make on the mountain bike sometimes. Whoop. There it is. (laughs) No, sorry. Um, (laughs) we're all going to start singing. Um, it is They're sort of advertising and sponsoring athletes all over the place now. I think they started with like LeBron James and a lot of high end, like maybe tennis players. I can't remember, but it's it's a really fascinating product. So it's it's a wearable. It's a wrist, you know, sensor, and it's got many sensors, and you're supposed to wear it twenty four seven. And it at the heart of it, it tracks two things: what it calls your daily strain. 
and your daily recovery. So in the uh, bucket of strain, you know, it's your bike rides, your runs, whatever you're doing, your everything. And then in your, and it, you also can give it some uh, personal feedback. It asks you some questions uh, when, particularly when you wake up, like, are you stressed? Da, da, da. And then it, it tracks your, um, your sleep and your heart rate variability, which, you know, heart rate variability is a really interesting one because it's a really good indication of overtraining and uh, exercise readiness. So when, for people who don't know, and it, it sounds counterintuitive, but your heart is actually, when it's healthy and, and rested and ready, it does not beat like a metronome. It's not like bump, bump. Bump, 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 bump. It beats like that when you're not well and, and maybe ready to just, you know, anyway. No, um, it, your heart rate should be variable. It should, ha- it should not beat like a metronome like that. So, but everybody's variability is different. Like there's no one number. It's not like, oh, you should still, you know, shoot for 173 or whatever. It's just like, it, it's very personal what your heart rate variability is and what's healthy for you. So it sort of tracks that and it gives you your trends. So as your, you know, approaching overreaching or getting tired, you can watch your heart rate variability go down and it tracks your sleep and your sleep quality. And it just gives you a recovery score based on those things. So it tells, and then it gives you some hints like it did, you know, you go on an app and it'll say, well, you know, if you might be more than 65% recovered, if you got more sleep last night kind of thing. Um, and it asks you questions about your sleep. Like, you know, have you had caffeine and how much alcohol and blah, blah, blah. So it's, uh, it's, I'm not, I'm not really a numbers geek and I'm not a wearable geek, but I have found this very super interesting, frankly, um, just to watch how, cause you, you can really watch how the, the decisions you make mm-hmm. impact both of those things. And it's, it is, it is a very interesting and they, you know, they claim that, uh, whoop wearers do end up getting better sleep, you know, taking better care of themselves, maybe drinking a little less, et cetera. And I believe it because, you do have this this just concrete sort of graph of the consequences or the rewards of your actions. Um, you know, so I've been wearing it for a couple of weeks. And it's funny, I didn't get a ton of sleep before Saturday morning because it was just hectic on Friday. And um, I knew I wasn't going to get the, the full sleep I wanted. So I didn't even look at it Saturday morning before I went <laughs> to my event. Because I'm like, I don't want it to tell me anything I don't want to see. Uh, but it it does turn out that I was I was ready to go because I you know I could watch myself taper even it was really interesting hmm. it was interesting yeah it's not cheap it's like eighteen bucks a month which is Ooh. you know more than like Netflix and stuff so I'm not I'm gonna talk to the guy and see like exactly why it's you know it's a high end thing I get that and you know you can be part of a Whoop community where you can like follow other people and all that kind of stuff but um, it is really intriguing I it does sound it. I mean, the idea that you've got a device that will coach you into better sleep, that's attractive. Uh, I ran across a story just a day or two ago saying that the biggest health crisis that we face in the United States is not the opioid epidemic. It's the lack of sleep. And after listening to an interview with a a sleep uh, Uh, neuroscientist, I am convinced that this must be true, that sleep deprivation, all, when you look at the myriad of problems that sleep deprivation cause us, uh, 
I, I've really been endeavoring to get more sleep myself. Oh yeah, no, I'm big on that. I, if there's one thing that I, um, have always been very conscious of is I, I don't, I don't, I respect my sleep. I don't skimp on my sleep. I mean, if I have to get under seven hours, I'm, I'm not happy about it. Um, it's, it's just something. And I, it, it, it makes a measurable difference. There's no question about it. Yeah. When I was, you know, when I did that sort of experiment, when I weighed myself every day for like, I was a few years, you could see, you could see inflammation, you could see weight tracking. I mean, just like a couple of days of bad sleep and, you know, you start retaining water and you get, there's inflammation, you can see it. Like, mm. there's no question that it's, uh, it's impactful. You know, that said, some people do need a little more. Some people need a little less. It's, it, there's a little bit of a personal thing. And when it tells me, like, you should have gotten nine, I'm like, I cannot get nine. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so, it, it is important. And, you know, the, all the devices and the light, there's so much. That's a whole other thing to unpack. Like, there's a lot that's disrupting our sleep. Uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, so, I mean, if you were to characterize this in terms of you know, the, the promise of the product, there's more to it than just steering toward steering you toward better sleep or steering you away oh, no, from not- dietary considerations that will affect your sleep. Oh, a hundred percent. Because it's, it's, it's showing me the strength, like, like how much, you know, like when I did the, the weekend, I got to see like what that had effect that had on my body and then, then watch myself recover because it's doing those two things. It's, it's taking a lot of, it's taking your heart rate throughout the day mm. into consideration too. Mm-hmm. So that heart rate variability piece is huge. I mean, I, in my mind, that's the most intriguing part of this thing is telling me how my body is responding to everything I'm doing, not just the sleep. The sleep is obviously super important, but uh, it's, it's giving you both of those pieces. And since you have to wear a device, I mean, how are you with wearing devices to bed? Oh, I don't mind. I wear tons of jewelry and stuff. So like I, I'm, I don't mind wearing things. I, I wonder if I would struggle with that. Hmm. Interesting. Really interesting. They have a ring too, the aura ring, I think it's called or something like that. That is, I think a very similar kind of device. Uh, I, have always been intrigued by that too, but I have not had a chance to try one of those out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So just, uh, people can, you know, put the, the link in the show notes and people can look, check it out for themselves. It's very, it's a very interesting thing. Very interesting. I feel like, I feel like this is the shape of more things like this to come and even more sophisticated. Yeah. I suspect you're right on that score. This sounds like it's a a, a much uh, how to put it a, a, a more a, a more broad based impact than so many things that we've seen so far. For sure, yeah. That that makes it compelling to me to spend a little more time on their website. Yeah, you should you should check it out. It is it is interesting. Hmm. Very cool. Alrighty. So of the many great things that I saw at Sea Otter. There's one thing that the bike geek in me got just silly excited about. Before I get to that, I should mention Finish Line is an occasional sponsor of Red Kite Prayer, and this product is from Finish Line. They've introduced a new disc brake cleaner. I'm worked up about it because I'm a t- I am told it can address those squealing brake pads 
that happen oh. when you get dot fluid or mineral oil on the pads. I don't think I know anybody who hasn't suffered that problem at some point. And the thought that, oh, I just spray this on there and I don't have to replace the brake pads is a pretty awesome thing. Now, they do say that depending on how soaked the brake pads were in brake fluid, uh, they may need multiple doses that, you know, as they as you heat up the pads and whatnot and clean mm-hmm. some off, it'll uh, it'll soak out, so to speak. Uh, so it may not, it, they may not stop squealing uh, permanently after one application, but if you spray them once, they're supposed to stop squealing right away. And then they may start again at some point. Uh, so you just spray them a little more, but this will, I am told, return the pads to their former silent selves. I can't wait to get some of this stuff to really try it out. So this is a recommendation, not a review. I mean, uh, you know, a jar of this stuff is, uh, a bottle of this stuff is not terribly expensive. So I don't think anybody's risking anything terribly significant by rushing out to their bike shop and giving it a try. Uh, I certainly look forward to doing just that because I've got a set of brakes right now that are squealing and I don't think I ever got any mineral oil on the pads. And yet, oh, well, that pretty well wraps up this line of the pace line. Celine, what stuff have you done this week on bicycling that you want to talk about? Um, just a couple, couple of just short, quick study things that I thought were intriguing. One was on e-bikes and mm-hmm. it was, I mean, I think it was important to note that this study was done on people who are not cyclists. They don't ride bikes. There, there was an older crowd. I can't remember the actual age range, but it was definitely, you know, let's say the sixties and, and above. Yeah. Uh, they, they gave, they provided bicycles to this group, you know, and told them to ride. Like some got regular bikes, some got e-bikes, some got no bikes and just like, the bicycle groups had to ride three times a week, and I think the minimum was 30 minutes a pull. And then they tested their cognitive ability. They tested their well-being. They tested all the stuff because the two things that, that we know help with brain health and, you know, sort of cognitive maintenance are getting outdoor stimulation and exercise. And, hey, riding a bike is a great way to get both of those things, as we have talked about many, many times. And at the end of the study... What surprised the researchers was that both groups got equal amounts of cognitive benefit, but only the e-bike riders had a boost in well-being, like in mood and how how they said they felt they felt, which I thought was super interesting. And then yeah. I dug a little bit more, yeah, dug a little bit more into it, and it ended up being a confidence thing. So the e-bike riders were were more sure that they could do it. You know, that they could get out and they were more relaxed about the whole task. Like they weren't afraid of not being able to get home or, you know, it being too hard for them. So they so it wasn't necessarily about the heart rate. So the, the because the researchers expected that the the regular bike riders would do better because they had, you know, your heart rate's higher, more exercise, et cetera. And it's also I think that's just reinforcing that it doesn't take that much exercise to be good for you. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So the, like, I thought that was really pretty cool. And just another, just another check in the box that, you know, e-bikes have a place in our lives and they can do great things and we should have open minds about them. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. 
kind of hard. And the, go ahead. Well, there's a, uh, I believe he's a neuroscientist, uh, David Linden, if I recall correctly, wrote a book called The Accidental Mind. And in an interview, someone asked him about, you know, those various online games that are supposed to help, yes, you know, spark yes. your, your brain and, you yes. know, help keep you sharp. And his response was, oh, you want to stay sharp? Go for a walk. Just get out yeah. there. Just move. He said that that did more in terms of wiring the brain uh, for uh, dealing with the unanticipated than any stupid brain game you could do. And maybe I shouldn't denigrate it by calling it stupid, but movement is the thing that keeps us fresh. Movement is the thing. And movement is the thing. And fresh air can sunlight cannot be discounted. Yeah. A little vitamin D here and there. Yeah. I, I mean, now something, I certainly I read the piece, but is your take that part of the benefit of the e-bike was quicker movement that it required more processing? You know, I, I hadn't thought about that. I don't think it was in the study. I didn't see that. Um, I did, they did show how much, how, like what the percentage of the uh, power setting that they used and mm-hmm. they did. And probably because they were a novel audience, they didn't really turbocharge it. But that uh-huh. being said, if you're not used to pedaling and going at that quick of a clip, it would still be um, cognitively stimulating, right? Yeah. To yeah, that's a, that's a real interesting point. That was that was the the big question I had after reading your piece was yeah, how much yeah. of this is just once you're moving faster, your brain has to work a little bit harder at processing all the input. Yeah. For sure. No, there's definitely something there. Yeah. I mean, at root, you know, that's the thing that's going on in a flow state is that you get to a point where there is just so much input, your brain has to begin to attenuate and just focus on what is relevant to the mission. There you have it. Yeah. So, Uh, so I, yeah, pretty encouraging stuff. Um, I agree. Yeah. Oh, uh, and there was one other thing I think you were going to mention. Oh, there was. There was one. Thank you for reminding me. There was that one on intervals, too. So the very short of this is a very big study that looked at exercise and um, cardiorespiratory fitness by way of VO2 max is essentially for every 1%, which equals, I think, about three milliliters of VO2 max uh, gain you get, you you reduce your risk of premature death and uh, heart disease. So it was just it was super. It was, it was a super direct linear line that if you do and and I couched it for intervals twice a week because that's the way for people who are already pretty fit to get fitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you know can just improve your boost your lifespan. I mean, they've they've known they've always known VO two is a pretty good marker, but it's it's showing more and more that. It should be the thing that doctors look at more instead of like all these blood because there's still not super agreement about all the different blood markers and what they, you know, they how, how they really impact your your longevity or your risk of heart disease and stuff. Mm-hmm. VO2, VO2 is a pretty good marker. Remarkable. 
I mean, because it's yeah. through my athletic life, it's always been treated as as uh, this luxurious number to try to get. You know, you've got right. to either pay a whole lot of money or, or get lucky and be part of a university study. It's a yeah, it's a it's a pretty high end thing. They have calculators online that mm-hmm. are fairly interesting. I you know they they they, they sort of base it off of your. Heart, you have to give it data on your heart rate. You have to know something, but they can they can calculate roughly, and then you could still see. Maybe I haven't played enough with them to to say like how you could see your it go up or down. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I I tried that calculator and. I'll just say I was suspicious, right? And yeah. uh, of course, I didn't like the outcome. It said mine was probably 42, which is much lower than it used to be. But it predicted that mine was 53 when I was 25. And I know for a fact that mine was 56 at one point. So That's I think I think it was you know it looks like there was a, a a reasonable possibility that it was yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Huh. All so, right. Check it out. Uh, you get me that link, and we'll put the link in our show notes. You got it. Yeah. What do you have for us? Well, <laughs> I'm going to tip my hand. I was going to talk about my recent homage to Notre Dame, but mm. instead, what I really want to do is make mention of the many people who approached me at Sea Otter to thank me for being honest about my depression. Um, first, I want to say I'm doing much better. Thank you. Um, whew, uh, okay, didn't expect this. Mm-hmm. Um, second, oh man, oh. I want to commend every one of you for coming up to me and opening up. Uh, I think that after you tell one person, telling the second is easier. There is help out there, and I'm a testament to that. And seriously, I'm humbled anytime someone would choose to open up that way. So thanks for listening. Uh, Thank we're you, here Pat. for you. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, Hey, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending us some great stuff and it's fun to deal with these and know that this is what the audience is after. If you've got an idea, drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments or drop us an email. Before we go, I'd like to put a plug in for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. Uh, This week's show is my interview with Steve Rex of Rex Cycles. Ah, uh, He won Best City uh, and Utility Bike at this year's NABS. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.